0: Mutants Grapple fans and welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Melts a Five Star Project. The show within the show, in which myself, Lorcan Mulling, you Let Me Tell You Something co-host, and your other Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Simon Cross, discuss the matches that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. We've just had FTR defending their IWGP tag team titles against Aussie Open in the UK, and now we're in Arena Mexico to discuss what, Simon?
1: We are discussing a match taking place at Triple R's Triple Mania. For the Triple R Mega Championship between Ray Fenix and Al Hijo del Vikingo.
0: It seems like these two guys are the luchadors that are pushing high-flying wrestling further than it has before. If anyone's not necessarily reinventing the sport, but pushing it to an extra level of move innovation, risk, and speed, then I think you can argue that it's been Ray Phoenix who's been carrying the flag in the US with his exploits in AEW and PWG and the like. And in recent years in Mexico, it's been El Hijo del Vikingo Because some of the stuff that he can do, especially what he's really pushing as his USP, is his starting on the outside of the ring. Is taking the, the old... Sabu triple jumps off of steel chairs, pushing it to a new level.
1: He's a freak of nature. Honestly, do not know how he do- manages to do the things he does.
0: But is what he's doing creating good wrestling matches? So, now, oh, yes. So, I think one of the issues that we have with the version of this match that we watched, and I don't know if this is what the triple official version was, but as you said to me in the texts. The sound and vision are not the greatest in the world. Especially the sound. You want to elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think we, wa- we watch the same feed that uh, Dave Meltzer watched. I simply don't. For, if that was the official feed, then production-wise, that's shocking. It's, there's, no, there's no... I, I can't dress up that turkey anymore
0: we did have a triple match from about a year or so ago that we talked about i can't remember now who the participants were
1: no i, I remember the match because it had el el Heo in it so i was excited going in but i do not remember the production being anything like this
0: it was it was a tag team match i think it Pen, were pentagon and phoenix involved in that as well i think so yeah this is really a bad sign
1: yes they were they were it was i can't remember el Heo's partner but It was the Lucha Bros. I
0: remember after that, Dragon Lee and Draglistico maybe turned up afterwards to set up a big... And I think that was a big deal because they were from CMLL up to that point. Yeah. It seems to just... I mean, admittedly, Mexican wrestling is the stuff I know the least about, but it seems to be in constant flux and chaos there. Yeah. (laughs) There never seems to be anything I can wrap my head around. I I, I mean, this match definitely gave the the sense that it was some big blood feud almost for the title. Mm-hmm. Winning this match meant a great deal to El Higo Valkingo. Because he's the defending champion. He's coming in, he's been champ for about a year since winning the belt after it was vacated post-Kenny Omega's just laundry list of injuries that led to him having to take a significant amount of time off.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately the booking of Triple H Triple Mania has been affected by Kenny Omega's current sabbatical. I think is the term we use.
0: Championship belts don't actually mean as much in Mexico compared to other promotions. The big matches are the Lucha de Apuestas matches. Mm. Like on this card, Pentagon was facing off against Villano for yeah. Unmask, and it was Villano that lost. And revealed that it's not the case that all Mexican wrestlers are hiding very handsome faces under those. <laughs> he is quite old. Yes, you can't, yeah, I don't hold that much against him not being, yeah. but to be fair, Dr. Wagner Jr. was well into his 50s when he unmasked. And that man, that man fucks. He... <laughs> <That's good. laughs>
1: He it, pulls.
0: It was the Laredo kid that was in that match. Ah. And it was, that was almost a year ago, so maybe there was significance to that, like a year on from now. Mm. Because El Hijo did have the original Vikingo, his father, which is not always the case with juniors. I thought it was. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in, in Lucha, it's so often someone having a corner man, especially with Lucha de Puesta's matches.
1: Uh, yeah, well, Phoenix had a corner man. towel Fanning nowhere near as good as... The man I talked about in the previous episode, the great Okan.
0: But what we did talk about in the previous episode was blade jobs and ones that don't necessarily go right in the right times. And I think there was very clearly early on in the match when, and it was really cool spots because this match was just filled with cool spots. When the Kingo goes to spear ray phoenix from the apron ray phoenix is on the outside of the ring on the apron he goes to spear him phoenix catches him and turns it into a ddt on the apron sends him to the outside and that's a head bump and then afterwards you see the the traditional hitting them on the head to make the blood start to smear across the face and he
1: ta- he tears at the masks
0: not long after as yeah. well to get the visual going no no no. that's the other way around that's the other way around when the kingo was trying to get phoenix to bleed this is the other way ah, sorry. Because Vikingo doesn't seem to bleed, and I think he was meant to. Ah. And it didn't work. Because Phoenix does bleed quite a lot. It is a nice reinvention of the DDT on the apron trope. I was very impressed with that. But yeah, usually they're coming into the ring, aren't they? Not going out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, as we were saying, the key with Vikingo is doing these triple jump, double jumps. Usually standing on the second rope. And then he jumps over the rope. So it's like a hurdle. Over the top rope and in mid-air turns, like he does, like, Phoenix splashes. And another one he did, he jumped from that onto the top rope on the other side, because it's a six-sided ring, like old TNA. And turned that into a moonsault, I think.
1: He's really, really good. He is insanely good. I do like the fact I saw one of your favourite moves really early in this match. The old reverse Rana!
0: <laughs> This is one of the things that drives you crazy about high spot wrestling. When we were talking in the previous episode, where it's people just standing around waiting for someone to dive on them. With this one, it was two men very precariously balancing themselves on the top row. You can kind of almost get away with it. It's like both of them are trying to do the move, but they're getting the balance. And Vikingo is the one that managed to do it. Yeah, and he jumps and he just does an almighty high reverse runner off the. He does two reverse runners actually in this match.
1: The second one is a, a scary moment. The
0: first one's the one that triggers Phoenix to bleed, and I quite like that yeah. because Phoenix gets again. I have less of a problem with the with the reverse runner when it's like reacting to you being in the electric chair position. Like I said, my, for me, like the gold standard of it is how Hiroshi Tanahashi managed to do one in his Wrestle Kingdom match against Kenny Omega. Like that was the reverse runner done right for me. Yeah, and with this one it were because whilst Phoenix had him in the electric chair position, it was actually. Vikingo, who's able to get control because he gets hold of the ring post and so starts ramming (laughs) phoenix's head into the ring post the power of his thighs yeah and then turning it into the reverse runner which is what triggers phoenix doing the blade job and like saying hey Vikingo, this is how you do it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah as you as we were saying the other one where they're both balancing on the top rope later on and he does it and They jump so high. Because that's the thing as well. They're getting real height on those jumps from the top rope. It goes so high. And the way that Phoenix arcs, it almost acts... Well, it does basically turn into Phoenix actually moonsaulting on top of the Kingo by the end of it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: When I saw it, I was like, oh... I think they got away with one there. Put it
0: that way. Well, it's been fun watching back at the older Lucha stuff through the El Santo film but also through watching previously Atlantis versus Villano Tres and and we got that part of lucha in the opening stages because they were going for submission holds and mat wrestling
1: that sort of swinging cradle thing which I find is a really good move. I swear I've seen it before where someone's applied that swinging cradle and just, like kept banging his head against something like very lightly.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like an indie spot, I remember. There was like a version of the scorpion cross, you know, where he gets you in the sharp but then lifts you up. But it was like an even yeah. more, it started on the arms and then he incorporated the legs into it. Or something. That's something I think maybe luchadores don't get enough credit for that aspect of Mexican wrestling. Penta was really. When Penta was first making a name for himself, it actually was with his brutal submission holds and everything.
1: His arm snapping.
0: Yeah, then he. I don't know, descended, but then he went into the whole high spots Canadian destroyer part of it. Probably because he started getting partnered so often with his brother. But like the lucha underground, early PWG era, Penta. Like, I remember when him and Zack Sabre Jr. were facing off in a PWG match, and the crowd was just going shit at the sight of these two guys, and it was because they knew yeah. both guys did really unique forms of submission and map-based wrestling, which we get to see a little bit of in this, you know? I wish there was more of that in Lucha
1: that we were aware of anyway. There's, there's not a lot for me to say in terms of how the match flowed, because for
0: me didn't was it the audio that distracted you think because it was like and this has been a frequent case because obviously they say that mexican crowds are some of the most rabid and most intense fans there but it never seems like the crowds mic's in a way that we get that sense like you do when you watch american wrestling or japanese wrestling no with this one it sounded like the commentators were speaking over the pa system yeah because it was like an echo so it felt like maybe the whole crowd can hear them but also that like that put them well over the the crowds uh noise there is a period where, and it's also, as is so often with Mexican wrestling, especially, I guess, because we often see like some of the more intense matches maybe at the end of the feud. We don't get the sense of the Technico and the Rudo. I fe- yeah. It feels to me like Phoenix was the Rudo. And...
1: Yeah, I think they say it. They say that because fe- I I picked up the word Rudo from did the you, commentary. Did you
0: pick up Jeff Jarrett getting a name droppers well? Yes, <laughs> Yes, yes. The year is 2022, and Jeff Jarrett is still the name on people in wrestling's lips. It's a bloody miracle.
1: Jeff Jarrett got a payday at SummerSlam. Like, what, what, what a life he leads!
0: <laughs> His autobiography should be called "I'm as surprised as you." The Jeff Jarrett story, <laughs> winging it. <laughs> oh. But he seems a genuinely nice man. To be fair, I tell you who looks like he's winging it in that he seems to have wings to explain how fast and how high you can fly is LV Kingo. I think maybe next year could be a year where he. Gets a a, a, like a regular US destination I don't even know if he's a I mean you can't really be a regular in PWG anymore but like PWG I could see him very easily you know following in that line of guys that like over the last five or so years made that path from PWG to sometimes WWE sometimes AEW uh, sometimes New Japan you know your Dragon Lees yeah your uh, Bandidos your Pentas your Ray Phoenixes. There's even some Black Taurus, I think, and a few of them that are quite regular on Impact as well. Yeah, it's Absolutely. one of those things I'm starting to feel like,
1: you know, a common I, thing I say during all these is that styles make matches and as much as I appreciate how good he is, I want to see him against different styles of wrestler.
0: you want to see Alvy Kingo going in there with someone like, say, uh, Brody King? Yeah, or Zack Sabre Jr. or Darby Allin.
1: Or a mm, the options are endless really like pack
0: would be would be in something and as we've saying the visual well I wouldn't be surprised I mean there's, there's a clogging up of the rosters but vikingo does something so different that he would stand out if he were to go to aew or WWE I, WWE would be fascinating well how's his english because they 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 love a hispanic star but they they are very keen on the english is that as big a deal now that a certain someone's not in control anymore
1: true also if he did go to wwe we would get to see him against ray mysterio and obviously that'd be a whole i know it's not Rey, i know it's not prime ray but it's a generational thing
0: it's luchador, it's luchador you know we've got the you know we've already got that
1: i'll make an exception for ray
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I've said I think Ray Phoenix is maybe the most important and most exciting luchador we've had since Rey Mysterio exploded on the scene in the mid-90s and really changed what that image of a... not just a Mexican wrestler, but what size a wrestler can be, I suppose. What wrestling was in America, kind of. The the difference, I guess, now is that Ray very rarely messed up. Now they mess up a bit more frequently. Although I don't really know of any big blown spots in this match, but... What Ray always did, and even in Mexico, was that because of his size, I suppose, it was natural. that The David versus Goliath. Even, mm. against similarly smaller wrestlers like Psychosis, he's like a step smaller than them. So you guys like Psychosis, Dean Malenko, Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, were able to do the bullying heel on them. I mean, Kingo and Phoenix are smaller guys, but they're not so small. Yeah,
1: it is weird looking at Ray's own son tower over him
0: as much as he does. Well, you know... That was a disputed aspect anyway. So, <laughs> oh, wow. He's <laughs> oh, come a long way since the boy shaking the ladder. I've noticed it becoming a bit more of a thing, like people incorporating the ring post more into wrestling. But, I mean, uh, Cove Kingston doing it as well, I suppose, in the Royal Rumble. But that was when they had like the massive ring post things. But Vikingo actually balancing on, the, on that one before jumping onto a rope. And springboarding all of that, you know, it's, it's pushing it to that new And it's amazing that as long as wrestling's gone on and you think, well, they've done everything that they can innovate, someone like Vikingo comes along and, and, and innovates further.
1: He is an envelope pusher, as we mentioned earlier in this, and it's astounding and exciting to see how far that envelope is going to get pushed.
0: Oh, I did see a move I've never seen before in this match, actually. Which was him doing a Russian leg sweep, but it's off the second rope, and it turns into the Russian leg sweep equivalent of a Spanish fly. Yeah. So, like, what's halfway between Russia and Spain? Uh... (laughs) A Moldovan moonsault.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The Montenegrin mashup.
0: (laughs) There we go. That's what we're calling it from now on. He does a running 450 into the ring at one point as well, I think. The classic powerbomb into a Hurricane Rana spot, the speed that that was done in, in this match. The only time I've seen that move done as quickly was uh, Sami Zayn against Pac when he was Adrian Neville. Like, there was one time where I was like, my God, the speed of this. There's someone that Vikingo could do some really interesting stuff with as well, Sami Zayn, if he were to go to WWE. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's mostly just big moves, big moves, big moves, and chaos.
1: Yeah, Vikingo's pop up Canadian Destroyer, that's another, like, I know we've we've talked about how Canadian destroyers are overplayed. That one looked different because of
0: what Val Kingo could do. Another thing that's being pushed as well is like the imploding top rope move, where they're going with their back and then like Phoenix does it just as a f- splash. Like it couldn't be more simplistic. It's basically a Vader bomb, but from the top. <laughs> yeah, it just looked odd. <laughs> but the well, what was odd was that how little he did almost. Yeah. But then Valkingo one-ups him in the finish with it turning into a 450 splash. Yeah. Which, again, is risky in itself, because if you do it and you rotate and you're too close to the corner, your head's going to smack the top. You know, you're going to do a Greg Luguenis situation.
1: Yeah, Mustafa Ali does it, but he always wins that risk as well, doesn't he? Yes,
0: that's true, yes. But, yeah, like you say, there's not much you can say because it doesn't feel like much of a match because it's disorienting visually because you've still got those big ads that flash in on the... On the screens that was something I complained about in the last one.
1: the camera cuts are questionable. I don't know what Spanish for Kevin Dunn is but
0: for what the spots were and everything I guess I would give this it would be harsh to the previous match like, I gave four and a quarter stars to say I would give this four stars but it was fun like maybe I'd listened a bit watched it on mute almost it would have been more fun watch it on mute and like a better like a, a hard cam shot. Yeah, I would have probably enjoyed it more. It's a spectacle and these are two incredibly talented people but like almost I need more structure to it or more understanding of what it was to get emotionally involved I suppose. And that sense of the crowd. I think that shows how important the crowd is because Mexican crowds are supposed to be so great. I imagine going to a lucha show in Arena Mexico is an incredible experience. Like one of the great experiences. And again,
1: to defend the crowd, the the, the the few times they cut to a crowd reaction shot, the crowd were going for it. We're not saying the crowd were the problem at
0: all. That. that was funny as well. Like Now because crowd shots are so much more prevalent in wrestling, it seems like it's seeping into Mexico because I don't remember any previous stuff that we watched where there's been lots of audience shots. There's been some. But also when it's like zooming in on one particular person, I think is where it's more... It's not like a sweeping shot of an area. It's like one particular... Like, they picked out that person and thought they're probably going to react well to this long two-count off of a key she drives. It's like a
1: middle-aged woman clutching her phone at one point, and she's like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and at the end, Vikingo does pose with a middle-aged woman in the crowd as well. I don't know if that was his mum. El Madre del Vikingo. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Be interested to see if her first name was Freya. Yes bit of Norse mythology for you. In terms of my rating, I'm struggling because I don't want to be overtly harsh. I'm going to have to break my down with ad- ad loads of caveats and sections. I'm probably going to go three and three quarters. Athleticism, five plus. Ability, five plus. Connective tissue,
0: way down. Oh, that, that old standby. But I don't know if it's is the connective tissue as how Mexican wrestling understands it because we can tell a lot of Mexican wrestling is just you do a move. I do a move. You do a move. I do a move.
1: But I've seen other lucha matches where I was more there was, it was there a lot more. So it's I, I don't accept that. Unfortunately, on this occasion, fair enough. You expect more from your luchas. Yeah, I've raised, told better stories in other matches we've covered. El
0: Santo told better stories with Dracula. <laughs> better Z than... <laughs> it's doing some lifting there. <laughs> he told different. <laughs> But if you want to get in touch with you, Simon, with matches with better storytelling in the Lucha Libre tradition, how can they do so?
1: Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I am so known as Simon Cross Free. Free
0: for the numbers of A in triple A. A. My name is Lorcan Monon. that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N, as at the end of Mexican. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, box If you have put me, gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtwisepod.gmail.com. At LMTYSPod is our Twitter and Facebook handles. For the next episode, assuming there aren't any more five-star matches to cover, we're going back to what we promised beforehand. So what is it going to be for the next episode, Simon?
1: It is time for a silver screen vision episode. So fire up your popcorn. It's time to Netflix and chill with us, but not in that way, as we talk about the Netflix original series of Glow, specifically season one.
0: But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five-star time. Until the next time.